Preach word this morning will come from Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. That's Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with your words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls and boughs of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I'll be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. I have a have quite a few older brothers. A couple of my older brothers have been in and out of trouble for many years of their lives. In fact, one of them has done a couple of stints in prison for various offenses. And today, despite them being them being older than me and despite them being in and out of trouble with the law and with various members of the family, today, today, they are back home living with our mother. And when I heard about that, I thought to myself, well, Brother Bino, I guess it is true that you can always go back home. No matter where you've been or what you've done, you can always go back home. Well, I know that is a general thing, uh, and, and we do understand that that is not always the case, actually, that some of those bridges have been too badly burned, and there are times when you can't go back home. However, beloved, it is always true with God. With God, you can always return home. There are no bridges that are too badly burned that you can't cross back over and with God come back home. In fact, this is the hope and the love that we find as we conclude the prophecy of Hosea. We see in these final words of the prophecy to the nation of Israel through the prophet Hosea, God saying to his people, come home. Come home. Come home. Hosea indeed has been a dramatic and oftentimes graphic description of Israel's sin. 
of her idolatry and her spiritual adultery, of her unfaithfulness and apostasy. And if you've been here with us for any length of time and sat in on any of these messages, you know that it has been dramatic and it has been graphic at times. But even more dramatic and even more graphic has been the description of God's justice, of God's mercy, of his loving kindness, of his grace and his love and faithfulness to his people. And as... We find ourselves at the conclusion of Hosea. This is exactly what we see as, these, as this prophecy climaxes. We see in chapters 13 and 14 the end of Hosea is the message that has been the message of Hosea from the very beginning. As we saw last week, At the beginning of 13, God faithfully called Israel out of Egypt and he led them and lovingly led them and he was their savior and he was their God. And yet, God says in chapter 13 and verse 6 that despite of all this, despite of him lovingly leading them, despite of him, them, of him saving them graciously, faithfully saving them out of Egypt and leading them. In verse 6 it says, chapter 13, they became full. They were filled and their hearts, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. They forgot me. And as we saw last week, what happens when you forget? You fail. And Israel, beloved, was a case study in failed faithfulness. And death and destruction, therefore, would be their portion. And death and destruction would be their end unless God was compassionate. For as it says in, in, in verse 12 of, of chapter 13, Israel has stored up sin. And it says in verse 16 of 13, Samaria was undeniably guilty. The nation had stored up sin. There was no doubt about her guilt. She had been unfaithful. She had, st- she had gone away from the path that God had given her. She had been wayward. She had chased other gods. She had entered into unfaithful relationships. She had broken her covenant with God. And yet despite her waywardness, despite her disobedience, despite her forgetfulness, despite her unfaithfulness, God was willing and wanting to do as he had in the beginning commanded Hosea to do with Gomer. And that is to go and love an unfaithful woman. Beloved, God loves the unfaithful. In fact, 
if he did not love the unfaithful? He would have no one on earth to love. And we see God's love as Hosea concludes in chapter 14 where it begins with the wonderfully loving, encouraging, precious plea of the heart of God. Where God says to his people, Return, O Israel. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Return. Return. I love the idea of returning is a prominent and frequent theme in the Bible. It is particularly evident in the prophets as they speak on behalf of God to God's people. It is a common theme. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Return. Return to the Lord your God. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7, as the prophecy, as the prophet is given the prophecy of the coming new covenant and what God would do in his people, the Bible says, God says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 39. Why should a living man complain? A man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Return, return. It is a prominent theme as God is speaking to his people. And it's not just an Old Testament theme. The New Testament picks up on this. Indeed, James picks up on this as he's speaking to God's New Testament people. In chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, draw near to God. It is the same idea of return. Return to God. Draw near to God, and you know what you will find is that God will draw near to you, beloved. And this is what the prophet Hosea, giving to the people the words of God, where God says in verse 1, Return, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words. Return to the Lord. Return. Return, beloved, is nothing more than repentance. This is what repentance means. Repentance means a turning. Turn, turn, turn back. Turn again. Turn around. To whom do you turn? You turn to the Lord. From what do you turn? You turn from your sin. You turn from your iniquity. You turn from your wayward ways. Turn. 
Turn from what is in front of you. The road that you're going down is the road of destruction and pain and disaster. Turn. Turn from what is in front of you and turn to see what is behind you. And what is behind you? God. God. Ever pursuing, ever loving, ever caring, ever compassionate, ever forgiving. Turn. Know that there is God. Having turned from his wrath against you and pursuing you with loving kindness and faithfulness and goodness and grace. Hosea says, turn and take these words with you. Turn, Israel. Return. Turn. And when you turn, by the way, take these words with you. In other words, Ask God these words. Verse 2, take away all of our iniquities. In other words, turn and ask the Lord, forgive our sins, Lord. Turn and ask the Lord to forgive your sins. Turn and ask the Lord to accept your good. In other words, turn and ask the Lord, Lord, let us worship you again. Let us worship you. Take away our iniquity and let us worship you again. Accept our sacrifices, Lord. Beloved, do you know that it is not our sin that keeps us from God? It is our hypocrisy that does. It is not just sin that keeps you from God, that makes God not accept your worship, is your unwillingness to acknowledge that you're a sinner. The only worshipers that God has in the world are sinners. He knows that. The problem comes when they try to worship him without acknowledging their sin. Our refusal to admit it, beloved. You don't have to be sinless to worship God. Because if that was the case, no one could. What you do need to do is admit to your sin, Lord. And acknowledge our need of Him. It's hypocrisy that keeps us from worshiping the way we should, and from God accepting our worship, beloved. It is hypocrisy. It is our refusing to acknowledge. It's us thinking that we are worthy of worshiping him. Beloved, it is is not the woman caught in adultery who is is unable to worship Jesus. It is those who take up stones who perceive themselves better than her. It is not the tax collector who cannot worship God when he cries out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's the Pharisee 
who perceives himself better than the tax collector. It's the hypocrisy of it all. God knows you and I are sinners. He knows our hearts and our minds and the intentions of our hearts better than we do. All he asks is that we acknowledge it. That we admit that we are weak and he is strong. That we admit that we are sinners in need of a savior. That we turn and ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me of my iniquities and now accept my worship. Why the songwriter is right. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is that you sense your need of him. That's all God asks, beloved. Is that you sense your need for him? Turn to the Lord. And here's the grace of it all. Here is the marvelous, indescribable grace of it all. Is that God says return and then he gives you the words to say upon your return. He gives you the words to say. You don't have to sit around and think about it. Here it is. This is unbelievable, beloved. You can return to the Lord and the Lord gives you the words to say upon your return. See that in verse 3, right? God says, tell God that you have come to realize that you have no Savior but him. I have realized, Lord, that the Syrians can't save me. I have come to realize I have no Savior but you. Tell God that you will no longer trust in horses and chariots. And I will no longer trust in my own power, in the things that I accumulate, in the things that I am able to do. I am no longer going to trust in what I put before people and how they perceive me. I am laying myself before you. God says, tell him that. Tell him that you have no savior but him. Tell him that you are no longer trusting in horses or chariots. Notice what he says. Tell God that you have put away the idols and you have no other God but him. Tell him. Tell him I'm done with finding satisfaction in anything but you, God. Tell him that I'm done in finding contentment and fulfillment in anything or anyone but God. Tell him that. Tell him that in this world, you feel like an orphan. Like you have no family. Like you have no friends. And know 
that with the Lord, even the orphans find mercy. As the psalmist says in Psalm 27, even when my father and my mother forsake me, I know then that the Lord will take me in. Tell God that. And beloved, when you tell God that, when you return to God and say to God the words that God gives you to say to God, you find returning to God is gracious. You find that returning to God is fruitful. You find that returning to God is wise. That's what our text says this morning. Returning to God is the fruitful, and it is gracious, beloved. It is so gracious. And the reason it is gracious, beloved, is because returning to God is possible only because God is willing and ready for you to return. God wants your return more than you and I do. It says in verse 4, And I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. God says, I will heal their apostasy. And I will love them freely. You know, beloved, true repentance always gets God's attention. Always. Always. No one, no one has ever truly repented and can say that they've been ignored by God. No, 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 no. God may not be pleased with your sacrifices and your blood offerings. God may not be pleased with your financial offerings and your worship songs and your vows and your empty promises. But he is always pleased when his people genuinely repent. For these, the Bible says, are the sacrifices that delight him. Psalm 51, verse 17. A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God always delights in these. And so he says, I will heal them. I will love them freely. I will love them without reservation. I will love them without hesitation. Why? Because there is no sin that God will not forgive. If you are willing this morning to admit to your sin, there is no sin that he will not forgive. You have been unfaithful, God says we can deal with that. You have been lustful, God says we can handle that. You have been prideful and thoughtless. God says we can handle that. You have been hateful and greedy. God says we got something for that too. God says I can deal with all of the sin you are willing to admit and more. It was hard. I know it's hard for our legalistic minds to get around 
the amazing truth that is found in the Bible, but it is clear as the nose on your face. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, where sin is great, grace is even greater. No, you don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe it, and that's why we don't return. But listen, beloved, I don't fully understand it, and I don't fully walk in it all the time, and we don't treat each other the way that the pastor says we should. But the truth of the matter is, whatever you have done, God's grace is greater than all of it. We hold it against each other. God doesn't. We walk around unforgiving. God doesn't. Says, I will heal them and I will love them freely. There will be no bounds the grace you receive when you return to God. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Returning to God is gracious. He will love you graciously not only gracious, beloved, it is fruitful. It is fruitful. But God not only wants us to return, but he wants the world to know that we have returned. He wants the world to know that we have returned, and therefore he gives us a testimony of everlasting life upon our return. See that in verse 5. Here's what he says what he will do when Israel returns. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. Returning to God is life-giving. It is life-giving, being unplugged from God. When you are unplugged from God, that is death. Because in God is life. Apart from God is death. This is what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, beloved. When they sinned, the Bible tells us in Romans that Adam brought death into the world, for now all have died in Adam. 
Why? Because sin unplugs you from God. It has unplugged all of humanity. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, therefore, is death. But being reconciled and being reconnected and returning to God is life because everything that God touches lives. Lives. He is the God of the living. You understand that? He is the God of the living. And therefore, those who are reconnected and connected with God do not die. Speaking about that this week, when Brother Romaine passed into eternity, and I was reminded, our God is the God of the living, and therefore Romaine didn't die, he just transitioned. God of the living because all in God live. When you return to God, there is an infusion of life. God says he will water Israel. You know it takes water to flourish? That's why your grass is not growing. You're not watering enough. It takes water to flourish. And God says, I will water Israel and she will flourish. Notice the imagery that he gives her and how she will flourish. They shall blossom. They shall take root. Their shoots shall spread out. They shall be beautiful. They shall be a luscious and sweet fragrant. Beloved, this is not simply for Israel. This is for others to see. Others will see their blossoms. Others will see their shoots spreading out. Others will see they are beautiful. Others will smell the sweet aroma of God on them. Why? Because, beloved, life begets life. And our returning to God is not just for us. Our returning to God glorifies God in our encouraging others to return. That's what God, that's what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus was telling Peter he was going to be Crucified, and Peter said, No, Lord, it's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says to Peter in Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn again, you do what? You strengthen your brothers. Why? Because your repentance is my strength. And my repentance is your strength. 
We get strength from one another when we turn to God. never too late to turn. It is never too late to turn and be fruitful. Never too late. Notice what it says here. This is, I just discovered this this week. In reading and going over this, I just discovered verse 8. This is beautiful. God says, I am an evergreen cypress. I hadn't thought about that. I am an evergreen cypress. From me come your fruit. An evergreen cypress. I grew up in the north where we have real seasons. (laughs) Winter is winter. Spring is spring. Summer is summer. And fall is fall. And you can tell the difference. But you know what is not affected by it? The evergreens. The evergreens. And there are a lot of them, beloved. And they are always green. Winter, spring, summer, and fall, the evergreens are always the same. That's how God is, beloved. He is always the same. There is never a season in which he will not forgive you. He is ever ready. He is ever willing. He is ever loving. He says, I will be an evergreen for you. There is no time you will ever come to me and I will not be green for you. I will not be right for you. I will not be ready for you when you return. It is never too late, beloved. That's why it is never too late to return to God. Because God is ever ready, ever willing to glorify himself through us. It's never too late to... Do you know, beloved, that it is never too late, but it is also never too early? It is never too early, beloved. Young people, I say that to you this morning. It is never too early to turn to God. The world and the devil will tell you that youth is for pleasure, middle age is for business, and old age is for religion. But God says it quite differently, beloved. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and in verse 1 he puts it plain remember also your creator in the days of your youth you are never too young for God to bear fruit through your life of repentance you can turn now it's never too late and it's never too soon you can turn now In fact, when you turn, you realize it's really the only wise course of action. Returning to God is wise. It's wise. In the face and the fact of God's grace, beloved, it is the fool who refuses to turn. See what it says in verse 9? 
Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. You know what is painfully clear throughout the whole prophecy of Hosea is this fact that we are sinners. Evident on every page. It has been evident in every chapter. It has been practically in every line. And yet there is something even more clear in the prophecy of Hosea, and that is that God loves us despite it all, despite our waywardness, despite our unfaithfulness, despite our walking out on him, despite our chasing after other gods. And it is the fool who misses this. The fool who refuses to acknowledge God and therefore to trample underfoot the grace and the mercy of God. The Bible says, does it not, in Psalm 14, that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God? And in saying that there is no God, what the fool is saying is therefore that I am no sinner. Because when you refuse to acknowledge God, you refuse to acknowledge that you are a sinner. Therefore, it is the fool who looks at the cross of Jesus Christ and calls that folly. It is the fool who looks at the cross of Jesus Christ and calls that unnecessary. And rather than seeing the hope and the joy and the only resource for reconciliation with God, The fool says, and I will trust in horses, and I will trust in chariots, and I will trust in my own wisdom, and I will trust in my own way. Do you know, beloved, the smartest man in the world is a fool if he refuses to repent? And the simplest man in the world is wise when he turns and repents before God. In fact, beloved, I am convinced that the wisest words ever spoken by a human being in the scriptures are found in Luke chapter 15 and verse 8. What a prodigal son said, I will arise. I will arise and go to my father. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It doesn't get any wiser than that. All he had to realize, not just the foolishness of his ways, but wisdom was turning around and going home. That's all. Wisdom was simply going home. That's all God has. Come home. You may not always be able to go to mama. And 
You may not always be able to go back to daddy. The job that you ran out from may not take you back. The school out of which you got kicked may not let you back in. That husband may not be willing to take you back. That wife may not be willing to reconcile with you. But with God, you can always come home. Always, beloved. Always come home. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, if I might borrow from Tom Bodette, God leaves the light on for you. He leaves the light on for you. There is a, there is a, um, a country song by Trace Atkins. Pastor Duncanson, you don't know anything about this. There's a country song by Trace Atkins. Which he's speaking to his wife who is walking out on him. And he tells his wife that, well, I'm going to leave the light on just in case you ever want to come back home. And she smiled and said, I appreciate you doing that. And he said, but so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, when you leave and you look back, every light in the house is on. The backyard's bright as the crack of dawn. The front walk looks like a runway light, kind of like noon in the dead of night. Every light in the house is on, just in case you ever get tired of being gone. Every light in the house is on. Did you hear that? Beloved, with God, Every light in the house is on. Just in case you ever get tired of being gone. Every light in the house is on. And in Christ Jesus, the glory of the light of the gospel shines in his face and says to all people, you can come home. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you've gone. You can come home. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Softly and tenderly can you hear the Lord calling. Calling poor sinners. Come home. Why? Because at Calvary, he left the light on for you. Let's pray.